of, of baptism is to proclaim publicly what has happened on the inside, that Jesus has, uh, has, has captured them and, and rescued them and, is, and, and, and they are living for him. And so uh, when we, we had plenty of church family, plenty of you with us at the river last Sunday, but just love to show those again so that uh, we, can, we can witness together as a church family these, um, these statements of faith and following Jesus. So exciting to celebrate that. Uh, that's one of the great things that uh, God is doing in our church family. It's fun to celebrate uh, in baptisms. And uh, so there are a lot of other great stuff going on in our church family recently, and I want to highlight a couple of things. And uh, for the last several months, we have been led up here in worship through music by our great volunteers. And we have um, great volunteers that are musicians and singers and sound techs and video techs and our worship through music, um, all volunteer the last several months. And they've done a great job in helping us look to Jesus every Sunday, haven't they? We are thankful for them. And uh, all of you who serve behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, it, it takes all of us, the whole body, everyone has a part to play and you are needed, uh, particularly as we move towards some new and exciting things. We are looking for you each to find your place to serve in our church family and we would love to help you with that. If you're not sure where to plug in, we, you are needed. There are lots of examples of places uh, where you could serve. Um, so... Uh, having been uh, having the, the, the volunteers the last several months is because uh, we have been in the process of seeking God's direction on finding a new uh, staff person, a new pastor to lead us in worship through music. And uh, we, so we've been working diligently the last few months. We've had a search team that's been working really hard. Uh, you all have been praying. We have been praying really hard. Uh, the search team has recently come to a unanimous recommendation. They took that person, that candidate, to our elder team, our leaders, who affirmed that recommendation. And so I'm excited to tell you this morning that we have a candidate to present to you very soon. Yes. Not today, but very, but very soon. And so we're going to give you just a little sneak glimpse today. Uh, on your way out today, we're going to hand you a, a little insert, a little piece of paper with just some highlights about a great follower of Jesus named Matt Seplus. And uh, he and his wife, Lindsay, uh, live not too far away. And out of a, a large pool of people across the country and nearby, uh, God uh, clearly drew these two sides together, Matt Seplus and Faith Church. Um, it was really cool to see how God worked and how much unity he gave us on the search team and how consistently Matt was kind of right there at the top of what God was showing us uh, he had for us. So I'm excited to serve alongside of him. And uh, on, on, as I said, on your way out, we'll give you this. It, it has just a little bit of highlights about Matt. And then in the coming weeks, we want to tell you more. You'll hear from people on the search team. You'll hear more details from me. This little piece of paper we're going to give you has key dates that coming up here, when we're going to introduce him publicly in just a few weeks, uh, and, then in a few, and then in about a week after that, he will be here leading us in worship through music, and then you, the church family, are in, and in particular, our official members of Faith Church will have an opportunity to vote in regard to that recommendation uh, that Matt C. Plus be our next worship pastor. So exciting times. God is at work, friends. Exciting times. God is at work, friends. <laughs> Maybe you just weren't ready for the punchline, so you, 
I gave it a second chance. So we'll hand that out on the way out. I'm just checking to make sure I didn't forget anything important to say. I'm sure I did, but good stuff. And you'll hear lots more in the coming weeks um, about Matt, about his wife, Lindsay, uh, about all that God's doing in their lives and how, uh, how we in, uh, feel that God is bringing us together. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning as we always do, needing you to be our teacher. So we thank you for the Bible, that you have given us your very word that we can study on our own daily in our homes and anywhere. And God, that we can gather together and study as well on Sundays. So God, as we gather together as a church family this morning, I pray that our eyes would be lifted to you, that you would speak to us through your word, that by your spirit, uh, our hearts uh, would be changed, that you would continue this transforming process that you want to do in our lives. And God, we look forward to all that you're doing. We look forward to some of these things we just mentioned. We, we, we look forward to making room for more in our worship center. We look forward to, uh, to gathering on Sundays and, and making sure that all are welcome and that, and that anyone that you bring through the doors can hear the good news of Jesus. We thank you for baptisms that representing uh, those committing their lives to following Jesus. God, we pray that we, would, that we would have many, many more opportunities to baptize in the future because of your working in our community and your working through us to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus so that our, that our friends and our family members and our coworkers and our fellow students who are living far from you, living without hope in you, would, would find you. God, would you use us as you see fit? God, we look forward to uh, the man that you have to join our staff team and to help shepherd us and, and point us toward you. So God, we pray for Matt and Lindsay, and we pray for our whole church family as we look to you for your direction and for confirmation. And Father, as we conclude our study in the book of Esther this morning, uh, as you orchestrated time and events and people so that Esther was at that pivot point of history, as your word says, for such a time as this. God, as we see your, your magnificent working in the book of Esther, would we be reminded that you are at work in our midst and that you have put us in Dallas in 2018 for such a time as this. So I submit myself to you to do as you see fit. Work in and through me, Lord. And I pray for my friends in this room that we would each submit to you, desiring your will to be done in our lives. Would our words and our actions be glorifying to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Turn your Bibles to Esther chapter 7 if you would. Love you to bring your Bible. If you don't have one, you can check at the Connection Center sometime. We'd love to give you one. Uh, every Sunday, we uh, exalt Jesus in many ways through our prayers, through our offerings, and, and certainly through studying God's Word. And so I want you to have uh, the Bible open on your lap in front of you. That would be great. And turn, if you can, to Esther chapter 7. Feel free to use the table of contents there. Find Esther. Or right in the middle of your Bible is a big book called the Psalms. And if you take a left two books, you'll find Esther. And we're going to quickly kind of catch up in chapter 7 on where we've been recently. And then kind of jump in with our new 
uh, text for this morning uh, in chapter 8. So kind of starting there at the beginning of chapter 7, verse 2 or so, let's just quickly kind of recap what's happening here um, with, with, uh, with this true historical account of Queen Esther. In, chapter, in verse 2 it says, King Xerxes, or King Ahasuerus, those are used interchangeably, some of your Bibles say one, some say the other, no big deal, same guy. King Xerxes says to Queen Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Verse 3, Queen Esther answers, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and the lives of my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people. This is God's people, the Jewish people. We have been sold to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. King Ahasuerus says back to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman who was there in the room, Haman being the king's number two. So in the book of Esther, we have the attempt of the evil one, Satan's attempt to destroy God's people. Why would he want to destroy God's people? Because it is from the line of God's people that will come the promised rescuer that will set all things right. This is really, in the book of Esther, in, in Haman convincing the king to enact an edict that would put a genocide and kill all the Jewish people. This is really the act of the evil one trying to kill Jesus. Because the evil one knows that on Jesus' arrival, he's in big trouble. So skipping down to verse 10 in chapter 7. So they hanged Haman on the gallows. This is the king's response to Esther's um, making him aware that there's this genocide now enacted. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared. Remember this. Haman had prepared the gallows for who? And now who is hung on those gallows? Reversal. Everybody say reversal. The, the, king of, or the, king, the book of Esther is full of these incredible and sometimes ironic reversals. And I asked you last week, are these reversals coincidence? Or is God at work? God's at work. The gallows intended for Mordecai are now used on Haman and the wrath of the king abated. Everyone say reversal. Okay, keep that in mind. I'm going to ask you for it. You got that? Okay. Now, uh, turn with me if you would. This is going to be weird. We're going to skip ahead just a little bit. Flip back to the end of Esther, chapter 10, verse 3. I want to just tell you a little bit more about Mordecai while we're on the topic of Mordecai. This is, um, this is Esther's cousin, older cousin, who's, ra who's raised her like a father, also Jewish. And chapter 10, verse 3 tells us that Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus. So where, where Haman had been, number two in command, right? Now Mordecai is second in rank to King Ahasuerus, for he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. So where Haman was once the honored number two in command, we now have a... Hey, all right, good job. We now have a reversal, and Mordecai is honored. Okay, now, chapter 8, 
Flip back with me to chapter 8. This is, where we're, this is the new text to us this morning. Chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her, her cousin, and like a father. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. There we see the story of how Haman, or I mean Mordecai became number two. So this ring that was once Haman's is now Mordecai's, another reversal. Chapter th- or verse three. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with the king to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter once again to Esther, showing his acceptance of her that he would listen. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. Now see, we still have the problem of the king's first edict, right? The edict that that Haman talked him into that would result in, in the killing, the slaughter of all the Jews, this edict is still in place. Haman's gone. Mordecai's installed. The king is now aware of their Jewish heritage and their desire to rescue God's people and to prevent the killing of the line that will lead to the ultimate rescuer, Jesus. But the edict is still in place. So the queen begs the king, what can be done about this? Verse five, if it pleases the king and if I have found favor in in your sight and if this thing seems right before the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order... Let another edict be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Pastor Ed was speaking just a minute ago about our our continued growth in Christ. That, that we don't just arrive. Yes, your salvation is, is done, is past tense. There is ways in which your salvation is done. You've been rescued. You've been, you've been regenerated. You've been given a new heart. You've been, you're being made new from the inside out. But there is another way that our salvation is ongoing, that this transformation progress, uh, process continues in the lives of his followers. And we've, we've suggested as we've watched Esther in this book, We've suggested this, that it's really interesting to consider where Esther was and where she is now. Denying her Jewish heritage, living like a pagan, getting involved in what she got involved in, her family never having returned to Jerusalem when they could have. All of these seem to be indicators that Esther was not walking with God. And yet, as the story has uh, progressed, We've seen these increasing indicators of God's work in Esther's life and her becoming a more bold, boldly outspoken follower of God. Do you want that for you? I do. Because the easier is just to, I'm good. Jesus saved me. I have good Christian friends. 
I read my Bible once in a while. But friends, Jesus has so much more for you. Verse 8. So the king says back to Esther in regards to her pleading, well, you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and you can seal it with the king's ring for an edict in the name of the king. Here's the, the, the tricky part, right? For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So that's the problem with that first edict, right? The king has already sent word to his whole kingdom that you can slaughter the Jews on such and such a day on the calendar. Kill them all. And that edict cannot be revoked. And so while Esther has the king's ear and he has her, she has his attention now, they, need to, they, need to, they have, to, have to have another plan. They can't just revoke the previous edict. Verse 9, the king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews. To the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, this is uh, Xerxes' kingdom, 127 provinces. To each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. Verse 10, and he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. And then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service. This is the same process that the first edict went out. And now this same process of, of of written language and 127 provinces and fast horses, this same uh, process is now used to send out a new edict. This is going to be a reversal. Verse 11, saying that the king allowed the Jews, uh, this is what the edict said, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them. The first edict couldn't be revoked, so the second edict is they can fight back. And the edict even allows them to plunder their goods at the end of verse 11 there. And the edict is for that to happen on this same certain day of the month. So back in chapter 3, edict number 1 was sent out to annihilate the Jews. And here's this reversal. An opportunity for the Jews to assemble and defend and annihilate in return. And as this passage continues here in chapter 8, we see even more reversals. Back in uh, chapter 4, Mordecai tore his clothes. He was in mourning. He, He was in sackcloth and ashes. He was wailing. He was weeping. And now look at verse 15, chapter 8, verse 15. Then Mordecai, because of this new edict, went out from the presence of the king in royal robes and blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. A reversal. Back in chapter 4, every province in the kingdom was in mourning after that first edict. And now at the end of verse 15, we see, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced at this new edict. A reversal. Coincidence? 
or God at work. Very much God at work. If, if, we've, if we've got one thing that we want to remember from our study in the book of Esther, it's this theme of God's providence. That while, while, the na- while you won't find in the book of Esther, God by name, his handiwork is all over it. So we've got this theme in the book of Esther of God's providence. What does that mean? We'll put it up. We've looked at this a few times. Although he is often hidden and seems invisible. He is invisible. (laughs) Although often hidden and invisible, God sees all and his hand directs all things and all people according to his glory and for our good. God may seem absent. He may have seemed absent, particularly in the beginning of this story but he's not. And he may sometimes seem absent from your life because he's at work behind the scenes. But just as here, these are not coincidences. This is God orchestrating things according to his glory and for our good. Let's look at chapter nine. We're covering a lot of ground because we're finishing the book today, all right? But I'm reading a lot of it. Chapter 9. Now in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the same, when the king's command and edict were to be carried out. So after, this is about nine months after the second edict went out. So there's been nine months of awareness about what the plan would be. And now is the come the day when this edict was to be carried out. On that very day, when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, what does it say? The reverse occurred because it's a, okay, come in. Just humor me one time and say it with some passion. Do you know what's about to happen here? God is going to rescue his people. His people that were due to be slaughtered. Satan's attempt to kill Jesus, basically. And God is at work. And this is going to be a? This is going to be a reversal. On the day the Jews hoped to gain mastery, on, on the days the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought them harm. And no one could stand against them for the fear of them had fallen on all the peoples. Look at how even that was written. Let's insert God in there, right? God made the fear of them fall on people. God is protecting them. God is at work. Down to verse five. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, seven, uh, sorry, that's the verse. My, sorry, my paper's goofed up here. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men and also killed, and then lists off the 10 names, verse 10, the 10 sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they laid no hand on the plunder. Hmm, keep that in mind. Verse 12, and the king said to Esther, in Susa the citadel, 
the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and also the 10 sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what further is your request? It shall be filled. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict and let the 10 sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa and the 10 sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar and they killed 300 men in Susa. But they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid no hands on the plunder. All right, let's pause there for a moment and and consider something that I think is important as it often may be a, a question that often pops up in our mind. When we read difficult passages from the Bible and particularly related to violence and um, this kind of killing, we may wonder, what's going on here? Uh, is all this killing necessary? Does, does the events that we just re- uh, read about, do these events represent God's purposes? Did Esther and Mordecai go too far? The king came back to Esther a few verses ago and asked, what else do you want done? The 10 sons of Haman were already dead and they asked for them to be hung on the gallows. Did Esther and Mordecai go too far? Is is God letting things get out of hand? We need to be reminded and we need to be able to lean into this truth that nothing is out of God's hands. His purposes prevail. Ephesians 1.11 says that God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And Proverbs 19.21 says many are the plans in a person's heart. We may make plans and think that we have this and that say, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevails. So we may wonder about Esther and Mordecai's plans and we may wonder about this second edict and is this really God's purposes for defending his people? These, these kinds of passages can be tough. There's no question. The Bible includes difficult passages. Uh, violence, the, the Bible has plenty of things that, that bring about theological splits, right? Places where, where good, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing people could, could come to different conclusions about things. There are, there are difficult passages in the Bible. There are passages in the Bible that, that make us ask these kinds of questions like, why? And we, we've talked about this before in, in recent weeks. This, this story of Esther, I don't know about for you, but this story of Esther isn't really the one I remembered from growing up. This is, this is complicated, convoluted, many different people involved uh, high stakes, not as simple as Esther winning a beauty pageant and saving her people, right? But as we've seen over and over in this series, we can trust the providence of God. 
that he is at work for his glory and our good, that he is at work, that he is orchestrating all things and all people. We can trust that and we can trust what you hold in your hands. We can trust his word. Not only is the Bible um, true and useful and living and active, the Bible is God's very word. And so while these things are difficult and while we may have questions and while we may wonder, we can trust God's providence and his word. His word is living and active. But it still can be difficult to read our Bibles and understand everything, right? So we re- as we wrestle with difficult passages, here's, uh, here's one thing I want us to keep in mind right, right at the heart of this. As you study your Bible, and I hope you do as often as you can on your own, because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. You have the ability to study and learn from your Bible. Uh, as we wrestle with difficult passages, here's something to keep in mind is what do we know about God's character? What do we know about God? And does that help us understand or trust more that he knows what he's doing? Look on the screen with me at Deuteronomy 32. He is the rock. Let's read this aloud. Let's read this aloud together, everybody. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. God, by his very nature, is just. He is faithful. He does no wrong. We can trust him even in the midst of of a chaotic and often painful world. And then I would... That's kind of an overarching reminder as you study difficult passages is, is consider the character of God. Who do you know God to be? And how does that inform what we're seeing in, in, in the word? But about this passage in particular, uh, about this second edict, about the Jews killing their enemies, uh, here are th- some things we can keep in mind. As we've said a couple times this morning already, number one, the evil one, Satan, was trying to kill Jesus. Through, his peop- through the line of the Jews, the line of God's people. And so God isn't going to have it. God, the, the picture, the story of your Bibles, this is one story from front to back that you hold in your lap. And the story of the Bible is that God is rescuing a people for himself. And he's going to do that through the rescuer, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so nothing's going to thwart what God has planned to bring about the rescue of his people. We can also keep in mind that, that, that this first edict was a death sentence. It was murder against the Jews and they, they were given the right to defend themselves. Did they go too far? It, I'm not sure. It seems like it sometimes, but here's one clue. What did we read a few different times as they defended themselves? They did not lay hands on the plunder. And I'm not positive about this, but some of the scholars would say that this seems to be an indicator that they didn't take advantage of this edict for personal gain. The edict allowed for them to plunder their enemies. But it seems like by not taking the the plunder, by not taking the people's belongings, it seems like an indicator that they, they they were satisfied with God's protection. 
and didn't need to then go the extra length of, of personal gain. Does that make sense? They trusted in God's protection of, of his people. And certainly there are times in history when we see God um, at work um, in, in ways of judgment against those who are in rebellion against him. And, and this certainly could be a time when the Jews defending themselves and, um, and, and killing these enemies is an, is an in, instrument of God's judgment against those who are very far from him in rebellion against him. All right. We study and we trust God's providence and God's word. And now when we come together on Sunday mornings and when you read your Bible on your own, we also need to be asking um, how God wants to change us. What, what does this have to do with me? How, how, God, do you want to work in my life? What can I learn? How can I respond? This seems like a story from history from a long time ago. I get that it has something to do with God's people, but, but what does it have to do with me? This is what we need to do when we look to God's word. Uh, still got your finger in the text there? Okay, chapter 9, verse 20. Start, I'm going to start reading a few verses starting at verse 20. And this is a, some, these verses elaborate on this celebration, this feasting that happened when the second edict um, went out. Or, no, as, as, this, as these victories are happening. Verse 20, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He, Mordecai wrote to them to observe these days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Mordecai takes this celebration Mordecai's taking this, this one-time celebration of, of, of God's victory over his enemies, and Mordecai's saying, let's make it annual. Let's celebrate and feast every year and remember what God has done. So we need to do the same. We need to remember and celebrate God's rescuing work in our lives, don't we? And, and do we, church family? What do we do every year? Easter? Christmas? We, we remember and celebrate that God is at work to rescue his people and to make us new from the inside out. Why do we remember and celebrate God's work? Because he is faithful, because he is with us, because he is sovereign over all, because he is rescuing. And so we remember and celebrate. And, and that's what we do when we, we get together for, for uh, Christmas, and we remember and celebrate that Jesus came to be with us, that God himself came to be among us. We remember and we celebrate and we decorate and we give gifts and we have lots of food. Does that sound like the feast that Mordecai was talking about? That's a, that's a good thing of being God's people and of being church family and of being followers of Jesus is to remember and celebrate his rescuing work in our lives. 
Now look at the beginning of chapter 10 with me. Esther chapter 10, verse 1. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. What a downer. Weren't we just talking about annual feasts and parties and celebrating what God has done? Weren't we just celebrating how through Esther, God protected his people, thwarted the plan of the evil one? And King Ahasuerus imposed a tax. Back to reality. Back to the real world we live in. For all the reversals that we've seen in the book of Esther, for all the reversals that we've seen that I had you say, that we celebrated, that we thought were not coincidence, but God's working, for all those rehearsals, in some ways, nothing has changed and the king is taxing us. Yes, God's people have been spared the results of that edict. But the ruthless, evil, unpredictable Ahasuerus is still king. The one who signed the genocide edict in the first place. Mordecai is now elevated to number two. That sure helps. That must be a good thing for God's people that Mordecai has this kind of influence. And he's there. Mordecai's the number two and he's looking out for God. We already read in verse three how he's looking out for his people. But true peace, all those reversals, and nothing's really changed. King Xerxes is still taxing. And we might find ourselves in our worlds today a little feeling a little like that. We recognize God's presence with us. We celebrate the birth of his son, and we celebrate the cross at Easter. And then something, wah, wah, wah brings us back to the realities of the world we live in. Mordecai may be speaking for the people, but true peace will only come when the one looking out for God's people is number two to nobody. True peace will come for God's people when Jesus is king. And now, he is. This story, this celebration, was looking forward to what God would ultimately do. We live in a period where we know what God has done through Jesus. So while there are many good reversals in the story of Esther, there's a greater reversal yet. And I'll call it the greatest reversal. Like the reversal that took uh, this death sentence of the first edict and, and turned it into God rescuing his people, similar to that, God desires to make it possible for you and I to be rescued. And that reversal comes through Jesus. And you want to see? You want to see this? Look on the screen with me at Ephesians 2. Where were we? Where was Esther? Where were we? As, and you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And you were by nature children deserving of wrath. That is where we were. You want to see a great reversal? The next slide. Read it with me out loud. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's a reversal. Dead, made alive. That's the greatest reversal. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians on the screen, for our sake, God made him Jesus to be sin, even though he knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, our sin goes to Jesus, and his righteousness comes to us. Martin Luther called that the great exchange, and I'm going to stick with the reversal thing and call that the greatest reversal. And it's a good thing you're not sitting in the front row because it's the splash zone. Sorry, Tim and... I'll just aim away from you. Martin Luther called that the great exchange. Jesus took on our sin, bore the punishment that we deserved, and as a result, when God looks at you that are in Christ, if you are in Jesus, if you have trusted in him for salvation, if you have realized that you can't do it on your own, and you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he doesn't see the dead and trespasses and sins anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's a great reversal, and it's a gift of God's grace. When God enables us to trust Jesus by faith, that's this incredible reversal of crossing from death to life, from darkness to light. And like the Jews in the story, from sorrow to joy. Praise God. And there's more. Romans 8, 5 on the screen. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those that live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. That's a reversal. Did you catch this? The Bible says that in in Jesus you are a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come. You are being made new. I am being made new as a follower of Jesus from the inside out. I'm being given a new heart and a new mind, a new attitude, a new perspective. Life isn't perfect, but he's changing me from the inside out. That's another reversal. And so if you don't know Jesus yet, maybe today is the day of your salvation. Because if, if you are, are, are trying to wade through life on your own strength, if, if, if the king is taxing you, so to speak, and, and you have no hope on this side of eternity, friends, let me ask you to put your trust in Jesus. So if you find yourself needing hope and life that comes in following Jesus, would you talk to me In a few minutes, would you talk to a Christian near you? We would love to tell you more about how Jesus has changed our lives. And Faith Church exists to help you follow and know Jesus more. 
And maybe some of us are like Esther was, kind of hiding our identity as God's people, kind of not really obeying his laws, not really walking closely with him. He wants to make you new. Jesus has more for you. Don't be satisfied with where you're at. Ask God what he wants to still do in your heart and life. And, and even if, if you are walking with God, maybe you find yourself not as bold, not as, as risky for the glory of Jesus as you would like to be. And so we're going we're gonna to keep gathering together on Sundays. We're going to keep studying God's word. We're going to keep uh, learning the gospel, the good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so when we gather here in a few weeks and start a new teaching series in the book of Galatians, we call this series, This Changes Everything, because it's another... It changes everything. Following Jesus changes everything. It's a reversal. Yes, it's a reversal from death to life, and you were saved, past tense, done, rescued. But it also changes everything moving forward. Your lives should be continuing to be transformed as you submit yourself to Jesus. And so take a look, if you didn't already, in your bulletin is a handout on This Changes Everything and what we've got planned for this fall and how we want to join in that together and see what God has in store for us. So we said a few minutes ago that we want to remember and celebrate God's work, right? We're going to do that right now. So let me invite you to stand. We'll invite the worship team to come back up here. And we want to take this opportunity before we go home, we want to take this opportunity to celebrate and remember what God is doing in our lives. And so I'll invite you to stand. And in a moment, once the song begins, ushers, you may come to receive our offerings once the song begins. So right now, let's, let's remember and celebrate this reversal we can remember and celebrate this reversal in our, in our lifting our voices to Jesus. We celebrate this reversal in our prayers. We celebrate this reversal in the giving of our offerings. Let's remember and celebrate what God has done through Jesus. And I wanna use the, I wanna use the words of Ephesians 2 to celebrate this great reversal to you. So I'm gonna say something. And then I want you to respond, you together, reading the, boy, uh, the, the verse from the screen. Faith Church, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. By grace... You and Jesus have been saved, and that's the greatest reversal. So let's remember and celebrate what God has done through Jesus.